Keystone Sports Network. Hello and welcome to the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. I'm Jim Galante along with my good friend Chris Bucanani. Chris, how you doing this week? Did you survive the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day all right? Uh, both, yes. I, a little disappointed, as I always am this time of year, that football season is officially over. But whether you're a Penn State fan, a Steelers fan, or an Eagles fan, which I imagine is the bulk of the audience in some combination, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. Yes, to say the least. A lot has to go on. There a lot of things to do for every one of those organizations. Anyway, let's get started with our show, though, Chris. This is a combination of the obligatory Penn State podcast and the Keystone Sports Network, where Chris and I will find a Penn State or college football topic that we're interested and would like to share with you, our listeners. And bottom line, especially as the season ends, Chris, it's about getting more football talk in if we can. So we alternate week by week between the uh, with the obligatory Keystone crossover show between our two sites. Obviously, again, if you're listening, you found the show this week with the Keystone Sports Network. Next week, just go search obligatory Penn State podcast and you'll find our show along with everything else Chris and his fine crew does. Uh, Chris, this week with the topic, I want to throw something at you which is this, I don't want to look at just recruiting at Penn State and what's going on this year. We all know, really good recruiting year. Uh, I think finished sixth in the final rankings, which is great. But how about an overview of the whole recruiting process? We know the team has been exactly a 500 team over the last two seasons. My first question is, they had a couple rougher recruiting seasons prior to this class. They were ranked 15th in the country in 2020, 21st in 2021, and that even included Lonnie White, who was near the top of the recruiting class. Yeah. The, these couple seasons they had of 500, is that kind of the result of those semi-down years of recruiting? I think it's a combination of factors. Certainly, the results on the field have some impact. Uh, really, you have to go back to the 2018 season, which had a pretty nice follow-up with an 11-win year in 2019. But that was the first sign where the program maybe hit some speed bumps that I don't think people were expecting, and it impacted recruiting. I also think, by James Franklin's own admission, they took their eye off the ball a little bit in Pennsylvania and allowed some relationships with the high school programs here in-state to languish as they started casting their gaze nationally looking for the very best talent. And that was, you know, a pretty marked deviation from the dominate the state philosophy he opened up with in his first press conference. And so I think they've doubled down on improving that. You can see a lot of evidence in terms of not just the results but the hires they've made recently, there's a lot of focus on rebuilding the fence, not just around Pennsylvania, but around the traditional Penn State recruiting footprint. You can see Penn State is doing very well in the Commonwealth of Virginia, despite Brent Pry moving you know, all of Penn State's support staff, along with our defensive coordinator, down to Blacksburg. So I think that's been a big part of it. I'm not as alarmist, I guess you could say, about 
the last recruiting class prior to this one, the one that you said I think ended up ranked 21st, for a couple of reasons. Yes. Look, technically, I get so when you add up all the points and digits across the recruiting service, this wasn't necessarily James's best recruiting class. It was maybe only his second best recruiting class, and that was partially due to Micah Parsons, but also elevated by names like Ricky Slade and Justin Shorter. So we never felt better, Jim, about that group of recruits than that time before any of them had a chance to play any football for Penn State. So I'm not somebody who dismisses star rankings and recruiting services out of hand. Clearly, there's a correlation between high recruiting class rankings and success on the field. But once you get into that upper echelon, it is indeed an inexact science. And I remind myself of the tremendous success James Franklin had earlier in his career with guys who either committed to Bill O'Brien when they believed they weren't going to get a chance to play in a single bowl game or who signed on in James's early recruiting classes when the NCAA sanctioned situation around the program was a lot hazier than it became in later years when he started having more success and all the winning we did. You know, you need look no further than the Super Bowl and the fact that Grant Haley and Nick Scott Two guys who believed in Penn State when there wasn't a track record of success on the recruiting trail. And the questions around would they or would they not be able to have 85 scholarships and full participation in bowl games and, and play for conference and national titles. That was all way up in the air. Those guys were overlooked three-star talents. And now they both have rings. And, and Nick Scott went from being a, a seventh-round pick to a starter on a Super Bowl champion. So, you know, I think there was something to be said for looking a little harder at your in-state talent and trying to develop those relationships and find the, uh, the diamonds in the rough, like Journey Brown. I think there's something to be said for finding guys with a chip on their shoulder and developing them, as James and his staff have shown the ability to do in the past. So, yeah, you got to have a couple classes like the one Penn State just put together if you want to win a Big Ten title. But I also believe you got to backstop that with some guys who have something to prove. So I'm, I, I'm actually bullish on that 2021 recruiting class's capacity to contribute to winning Penn State football down the line. There's no doubt every year you're going to, if you're at the level of Penn State and get even a top 20 class, you're going to get contributors. I guess I wonder just how much do you need those elite players, the special players. And going back through this, uh, the history a little bit over the last few years, in 2021, the class that we're referring to that ranked 21st, and like I said, that included Lonnie White, who never made it to campus, decided to play baseball, which by the way, Smart call on his part, I think. You don't get beat up so much on a baseball field. But that class had only one guy then who was, um, you know, a top 200 player. And that was Landon Tengwall. Only one. And you compare that to, you go back to 2018, which was the sixth ranked uh, class in the country, which we look back at that with fondness, but to show you how things can go wrong, out of the top eight ranked players in that class, you had, as you mentioned, Justin Shorter and Ricky Slade, 
who, you know, just really didn't contribute. You had Rasheed Walker, who we thought had all that potential, but I don't know about you. I'll call him a disappointment. Zach Kuntz was in that group. Um, Nanu Asidu was part of that group who had the medical issue. And the one guy, one of the guys of that top group, Micah, who we all say, hey, he really came through and performed. But remember, we only had two seasons of Micah. He chose to sit out, you know, the 2020 season. So when you have those star players, I think you need those star players, but you also need them to perform. Now, how does that compare to this 22 class, Chris, which again is also ranked sixth? What do you think of the elite players in the 22 class? Well, you've got to be careful, as you just suggested, that 2018 is a cautionary tale about evaluating the talent at the top. I, I will tell you, look, I'll, I'll put what little credibility I have on the line, Jim, to say that I, I do feel better about the headliners of the 2022 class than I think I ever did about, you know, Slade and, and, and Justin Shorter. I, I really, look, I think Nick Singleton is the real deal. I really do. And I like Katron Allen a lot, too. I think there are two really good running backs in this class. I think either one of them could potentially impact the offense immediately next season, or this, I guess it's this season now. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they both do, to be honest. And, um, yeah, you know, I, clearly, like, you, you, you'd be, you'd be kind of nuts to um, not be a little bit on the Drew Aller hype train. And uh, there's, there's a number of other kids on uh, offense and, and defense or maybe not rated as highly, but, um, uh, you know, I still am excited to see Keon Wiley and, and Caden Saunders. And so I, 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 am, I don't w- want to get it twisted here. I am very excited about this recruiting class. But I also am maybe a little bit more hyped up than most other folks on the 2021 class coming in and feeling like they're the runt of the litter. Not to be cliche about it, Jim, but there is something to be said, you know, for want to and and desire to play football and what that does for your attitude and the way you got to play the game. I understand that sounds all like coach speak, but part of that is because it's real. That's a real factor in how teams win games. And honestly, I think it's one of the qualities that has been missing at Penn State and, you know, um, available in surplus in some of the less talented teams who have beaten the Nittany Lions over the last few years. You know, teams like Iowa and Minnesota and Illinois. And I, I don't necessarily have a problem that there might be a group of kids who feel like they're an afterthought on the roster and, and, and how that might motivate them. Well, Chris, I think there's always stories of the three-star guys who perform like stars. Uh, Journey Brown is a a great example. You know, he went from, you know, third, fourth, fifth in the pecking order to being a star, and I I still miss what could have been with Journey Brown. And you talk about this element of that want to, that desire, the the willingness to work. 
What I want is the best of both worlds. I want the all-stars, and I want them to have that attitude. And here's something I like with the stars of this 22 class. I'd like to point out two things. Nick Singleton and, and Drew Aller, who are definitely the two headliners uh, for this class, Drew Aller was much more highly rated his senior year than he was his junior year. And that's from hard work. And I talked to multiple people, including our own uh, T. Frank, who said, Jim, he's different. He's a different player. You can see he improved his footwork. He changed yeah. things. He worked to be a better player. And the word on Nick Singleton is very similar. This was a kid who, you know, he was a star as a freshman and could have rested on his laurels and be the best player on the field, but he worked hard and became even better. I like that in my stars because it's not just about them, but how that trickles down to the rest of the team. And one last point on those two stars, you talked about, you know, being able to back it up. Um, how, what's the backup plan? It's interesting that you mentioned Katron Allen. Hey, if things don't work for Nick Singleton, there's another pretty good player there. And Drew Aller, who we're all excited about. Don't forget Bo Perbula. Yep. I know he's not nearly as highly ranked, but if you watched his tape and saw him play, if Drew Aller weren't in this class, I would be very excited still about Bo Perbula. Yeah, for sure. And look, it's a little bit different with quarterback because you can really only have one guy getting the ball. But on the running back point, Jim, I think the skill sets of Allen and Singleton are actually complementary. And that's good because no one is really relying, or very, very, I shouldn't say no one, very few programs are relying on a feature back these days. And there's a lot to be said for being able to use a rotation and, you know, have a duo in the backfield who are sharing the carries. Uh, for a variety of reasons, not just um, strategy on the field. But I do think it actually helps market your program to future recruits at that position. If you can say you're going to come in and not put a lot of wear and tear on your body while you're here in college, because there's no question that splitting time with Saquon Barkley until he got one year as the feature back was a benefit to how NFL clubs looked at Miles Sanders because they're looking to draft running backs who haven't had the crap beaten out of them in college. So, you know, I think that's uh, that's another nice feature of this class. So, yeah, you, you, you got to do both. You got to have the thunder and the lightning. You got to hit on your high star talent and you got to take your mid-level guys who are either overlooked or not highly regarded enough or willing to work and change and develop through the years in your program. And you've, you have to elevate those to hit their ceiling. And then that's when you, that's when you contend with Ohio state and Michigan and Michigan state for the division title. And frankly, we haven't really hit it out of the park on either front the last couple of seasons. No doubt. 22 excellent class. James Franklin needed it after Subpar seasons on the field. I'll call it a subpar season or two on the recruiting front. But you said this very early on. You got to stack these kind of classes. Mm -hmm. Where is Penn State going forward? Are they in position to stack classes like this? Boy, that's a loaded question. 
I, you, you felt like they were in 2018, right? Because you had a conference title. You followed it up with another 11-win season and a New Year's Six Bowl. And all of that seemed to be in line with the expectations when we hired James Franklin. The narrative on James coming out of Vanderbilt is this guy's a rising star. All he needs is resources to match his ability. He actually won games at Vanderbilt, for God's sakes. Like, all you need to do is set him up with the fundamentals, program fundamentals of a place like Penn State, and it's going to go to the moon. And it looked like it was going in that direction. And then, you know, a funny thing happened on the way to the playoffs. So I am reluctant now, having gone through that five-year roller coaster ride, to just say with any degree of confidence that, like, yes, I think we're going to have another top 10 class in 2023. I think it's off to a good start, and I hope we will. But, you know, I, for me personally, I, it's, it's show me stage with Coach Franklin. And ultimately what I think doesn't matter at all and what anybody thinks doesn't matter because uh, he's got a 10-year contract and his buyout is through the roof. So he's going to be here. Well, your, your take is valuable, Chris. That's why I asked you. Let me give you my positive spin. Let me give you my glass half full spin. Let, let me say one more thing before you do. I will say my expectation is I don't think it's going to be top 10 class after top 10 class, but I think the five-year average of 2022 plus the following four recruiting classes, assuming James Franklin's here for the entire time, I expect the five-year average will be better than the one he had, let's say, 2016 to 2021. So I, I think the overall trajectory will be positive. I, I do, too. You alluded to it earlier. I think he made corrections into how he was working, people he put on the staff, so that he could remember his home state and his home region and do well there, which he has been doing. What I also like, the first indicator, first of all, the 22 season uh, recruiting class had the position, the quarterback, Aller, the running back, Singleton, the wide receiver, Caden Saunders, the defensive end, Danny Dennis Sutton. They were all top 100 players. What's missing from that group? Offensive linemen. And I think this is, again, what you see in the um, 23 class, they have eight commits. Four of them are offensive linemen. A fifth one could potentially be an offensive lineman. <laughs> and two of, the, two of these players that are commits for 23 are top 100 players. And guess what position they play, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Volume and talent is what we need to fix the O-line. Because it's a tough position to project. So you want to bring in multiple guys who you believe in because it's just it's a weird deal, man, projecting high school offensive line talent to college. And so many times the lower ranked guys end, end up being the, the high, most highly regarded draft prospects and vice versa. And then, of course, there are just the freaks of nature who you can look at early on in their lives and say, that guy is going to be a Division One football player. And you're right. And so sometimes, you know, you just got to – sometimes you need a, 
uh, a sniper rifle, and sometimes you need a shotgun. And we need a shotgun approach on the offensive line. Yeah, we need quality, but quantity is important too. And it looks like this class is going to have both. So again, a long-term uh, um, outlook, I'm still positive. I think it is very, very hard to pull in a top 10 class every single year. And I don't think Penn State's quite there. I think there are some environmental factors working against us, not the least of which being uh, the NIL situation and what Penn State can offer its players versus some of the other players in the market right now. And, uh, you, you know, that's something that Penn State's going to have to address, as we've discussed. But you do always also have the transfer portal. You get a second bite of the apple with talent evaluation that has never been there before. So you are going to be able to go down to these lower-level FBS programs, FCS schools, places where kids slip through the cracks, uh, as well as the JUCO ranks, and buttress your roster that way. So, yeah, I, you know, if, if Penn State continues to be in the top 15 range with its recruiting classes, especially with the chance to put a couple of Band-Aids on your boo-boos with the transfer portal, they're going to be just fine. All right, that's the final word on it, Chris. Thanks for joining me on our obligatory Keystone Crossover show. And thank you all for joining us. Make sure you join us again next week on the obligatory Keystone Crossover show. Keystone Sports Network.